together as we sing, I Stand Amazed in the Presence, our offertory hymn.
Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. And uh, Lord, thank you for letting us come and worship you. And Lord, thank you that we can come into your presence, not because of anything we have done, but because you died on the cross for our sins. Lord, we come to the time that we give our tithes and offerings. I pray that uh, they would honor you and bring glory to you. I ask all these things in your name. Amen. sermon this morning is entitled, When Jesus Heals, and I'm using a passage in John 5 that talks about a physical healing that Jesus provides a man who had been lame for four decades. 
but I think it has relevance for spiritual healing as well. We desperately need both, but especially spiritual. John 5, verse 1, says this. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Hebrew called Bethzatha, or Bethesda, or Bethzatha, which has five porticos. Porticos are like windows, like these arches in our sanctuary. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew that he had been lying there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is troubled. While I'm going, another steps down before me. Let me give you a little background to his response. Uh, The legend was that an angel came periodically and stirred the water, and the first person who got into the pool after the angel had stirred the water would be miraculously healed. So anytime they saw the water bubble or gurgle, they thought an angel was stirring it, and they all raced to get into the pool in order to be healed. That's why he says, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is troubled. While I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your pallet and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his pallet and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who was cured, it it is a Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, the man who healed me said to me, take up your pallet and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your pallet and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse befall you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. This was why the Jews persecuted Jesus, because he did this on the Sabbath. I I can't help but smile when I read that. They... They couldn't see the fact that Jesus had healed this man who had been lame for 40 years. They choked on the fact that he did it on the Sabbath and that he told the man to carry the pallet on the Sabbath. How narrow can our vision get when Jesus heals? Let's pray. God, we believe Jesus healed physically and spiritually in a little place called Bethzatha 2,000 years ago. But even more importantly, we believe Jesus can heal physically and spiritually today in Tifton, Georgia. Open our eyes. Help us see and take a step of faith and behold what you are capable of. In your son's name we pray, amen. When you get right down to it, this is a a really strange miracle story. It says Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast, but it doesn't say what feast. It doesn't say exactly where the pool is. And we don't know why Jesus told the man to pick up his pallet. He could have just told the man to get up and walk. And the Pharisees would have had little to criticize besides the fact that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Why did 
the man report to the Jews the name Jesus. Questions remain, but this much is certain. The man had been sick for almost 40 years. He was friendless and helpless and hopeless, and Jesus came and made him whole physically and spiritually. I believe the word health here refers to more than just physical well-being. I think it means spiritual well-being as, as well. The two are closely related because in Jesus' day, your physical health and your spiritual health were tied closely together. When Jesus healed somebody, it was always a physical and a spiritual healing because Jesus cared about the whole person. And I believe this is more than just a story about what Jesus did for a man 2,000 years ago. It's a picture of what Jesus did over and over again while he was here on earth. And it's a picture of what Jesus can do today if we will only let him. He continually comes into the lives of broken, twisted humanity and he puts us back together. He fills us up like that unicorn and he makes us whole. He's a great physician and he can touch his lives, he touch lives and bring physical and spiritual healing. And I don't think anybody here does not need that. And if there's ever a day when we needed healing, it's today. Think of our generation. We are, have a, a preoccupation with illness almost. 30% of money spent on TV advertising is spent on health remedies and drugs. Every American spends an average of 10% of his income on health care. We consume four tons of aspirins a day. Over, 30, over $10 billion a year is spent on prescriptions. And we fill more hospital beds and take more trips to the doctor than any generation that has ever lived. I, I was seeing, watching the news a, a few months ago and saw where there was a new medi medicine for dogs to help them with separation anxiety. I think we may have gone overboard. A woman was having a wonderful vacation in Florida and she sent a telegram, today it would be an email, to her psychiatrist saying, we're having a wonderful time, wish you were here to tell me what was wrong. <laughs> so in our day of physical and spiritual illness, if there's anything that we need, it is to be made well and whole. And that is Jesus' whole purpose for coming. He comes into our lives and, and he knows how broken and empty we are physically and spiritually. And he completes us. There are some hints at the kind of healing Jesus, Jesus used to bring about in the wholeness of man in Scripture. But in this passage, before we look at them, I want to give us a couple of, of prerequisites, three observations before we look at the passage of Scripture because I think they're significant. First of all, I want you to, to notice something about the archaeological site that is mentioned here. Five porticos at the pool at Bethsaida was a very specific detail and until recently it had never been found. That led some to believe that some imaginative details had been included in the story or that John may have misunderstood something. But guess what? About 40 years ago, an archaeologist digging at this site unearthed a rectangular pool. Guess how many porticos it had? It had five. It had one at each of the four edges and then one in the middle that divided the pool in half. 
So once again, that just goes to show that if archaeology does not support a biblical account, that doesn't mean it didn't happen. It just means we have yet to locate and excavate the correct site. Secondly, I want you to see here that Jesus did not heal everyone. And and that's kind of surprising. It says, verse 3, In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. There were a multitude of people surrounding these five porticos trying to dive into the water anytime they saw it stirred, hoping for a healing. But Jesus focused on one man, and he healed only one man in the crowd. I don't doubt that he was deeply moved by the mass of humanity that was suffering around that pool. But in the mystery of God's working among us, Jesus didn't just wave his hand and say a word and heal them all. Why not? If he had, chaos would have surely ensued and God's purposes for his son's life and death would have been thwarted. So instead, it reminds me when Jesus saw Zacchaeus, he he saw a laser vision for one man whose need was greatest. And this one man at the pool of of Bethsaida had been there for 38 years. And he was ready for God to move in his life. The third thing I want you to see is that Jesus is far more concerned about our spiritual ailments than he is our physical ailment. In fact, God often uses a physical problem to bring about a spiritual wholeness because he's gotten our attention Paul asked three times for God to remove a thorn in his flesh. And every time God answered his prayer with the word, no. And Paul ended up writing in 2 Corinthians, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may dwell in me. So God was able to work through Paul's ailments in ways he could have never worked through his health. And, and God did the same thing for people down through the ages. I, I think of Helen Keller, who was uh, unable to hear or see. God could have healed both of those. But Helen Keller said, I thank God for my handicaps, for through them I have found myself, my work, and my God. God could have healed Paul and Helen Keller. He could, have, he could heal everybody. But he accomplishes more through our sickness sometimes than he ever could through our health. So God is more concerned with our spiritual welfare than our physical welfare. He is more concerned with our character than he is our comfort. And sometimes a physical adversity is necessary to get our attention and move us to the point of spiritual maturity. But in the case of the man in our miracle today, his illness was a hindrance to the fulfillment of God's purpose in his life. So Jesus picked him out and healed him. And there's some things that were required for that to happen. The first thing was the man's desire. Jesus asked him, you might think it's a a superficial question, a crazy question. Here's a man that's been lying beside a pool hoping to be healed for 38 years. And the first comment that Jesus makes to the man, he asks him a question. He says what? Do you want to be healed? It means more than just, do you wish something would happen? It means, are you in earnest? Do you desire this more than anything else from the 
very depths of your being. Are you ready for the changes that a healing will make in your life? Think about that. This man had been crippled for 38 years and had grown accustomed to it. He had grown dependent on people waiting on him and and letting them take care of his responsibilities in life. Jesus wanted to know if after all these years, was he really ready to change? If he really wanted more than anything else to be made whole again? And asking this question, Jesus puts his finger on the first key to spiritual and physical illness today is the desire to be made better. I heard my mom say something years ago about a man who was sick all the time. She said, he enjoyed poor health all of his life. You ever heard anybody say that? They enjoyed poor health all their lives. There are folks like that who are sick and they don't really desire to be made well because it would deprive them of some attention. They would lose sympathy. It would force them to take responsibility for their lives. And if you talk to them, their conversations revolve around the last medical crisis and their last visit to the doctor and whatever ailment has beset them now. And if they didn't have something to worry about, they'd be devastated. A lot of people agree that most of the illnesses, not most, but some of the illnesses that are treated by doctors have no physical cause. Either consciously or unconsciously, we lose the desire to be well and and we kind of will ourselves into a psychosomatic illness. And this is true even more in the spiritual realm. The reason there are so few saints, there are so few on fire for the Lord, genuine, holy Christians today is that we just don't desire it enough to pay the price and follow the plan. We have become content with mediocrity, content to stay where we are, content just to sit back and be average. We've lost the desire to be all that God wants us to be, to be holy, to be whole. The best illustration about desire that I ever read was, comes from another realm, from a story about Buddha. <laughs> and, and a man goes to him and asks him about the secret of his relationship to God. Buddha takes him down to some water and pushes his head underwater for several seconds and the man is struggling and and he finally lets him come up and he's sputtering and gasping and spitting and and trying to get his breath, breath and Buddha asks him, in those last few seconds underwater, what did you desire more than anything else in the world? And the man said, air to breathe. And Buddha responded, when you desire God with that same intensity that you desired that air, you will find him. Somebody has said that you have as much of God as you want, and I think that's true. Jesus wants you to be whole physically and spiritually. He wants you to have that abundant life that starts right now when you invite Jesus into your heart. But to experience it, first you've got to desire it. If you keep doing the same thing the same way, you'll keep getting the same results. But when you desire something more, when you expect something more, when you hope for something more, when you're doing something more to allow God to enter into your life, He'll come in. So Jesus asked the man, do you desire, do you want to be healed? And it's a question of His desire. The second thing that happens is a step of faith. 
Now, a lot of you might say, well, well, where's the faith? Jesus just healed him, didn't he? Look at verse 8. The man had been crippled for 38 years, and Jesus says, rise, take up your pallet, and walk. For, for four decades, the man had never stood on his own two legs. And Jesus looks at him in the eye and says, if you desire more than anything else to be made whole and well, roll up your bed and start walking. Jesus commands the crippled man to do the impossible. His, his legs were probably curled up or twisted or distorted underneath him. And he commands him to do something he cannot possibly do. And the man could have responded by saying, are you crazy? Anyone can see I can't walk. What's wrong with you, man? Are you just being mean? Are you taunting me? But the man instead responds in faith. And I, I was wondering in my mind's eye, how, how did it happen? Was he, he laying sideways and, and, and he tried to pull his twisted feet up underneath him and he began to put weight on one leg and, and then another. And then he found out in, in that process of faith that he could stand up and his legs were straightened and he could walk again. Jesus is putting his finger on the key of another important step when he heals us. It is our lack of faith. A thing, a terrible thing has happened to a lot of folks today. They've lost the ability to see God working in their midst. They have eliminated the power of God from their lives. They've lost that sense of expectancy that anything can happen in their lives, in their church, that is unexplainable from a human perspective. We've lost the faith that the impossible can happen. And I keep thinking about that question I read that haunts me in Henry Blackaby's Experiencing God. When was the last time you attempted something that only God could do? It's been a long time, hasn't it? 99.9% .9 of the time we attempt things that we know we can do. But when have we taken the step of faith? When have we gotten to that juncture in our lives where we take the easy road that under human power or we take the high road that only God can do? Henry Blackaby calls that a crisis of belief. And depending on what you do will determine the outcome of the rest of your life. Do you remember the, the ten lepers that Jesus healed and one came back to thank him? When were they healed? Were they healed when Jesus said, be healed and then go show yourself to the priest? No. They weren't healed until they were on their way to see the priest. It was in the process of taking a step of faith that they were healed. It was a process of that man gathering his twisted legs up underneath him and trying to stand up that he was healed. And over and over again, when Jesus heals us, it's not, bam, you're healed. It's take a step of faith, okay? Another step, another step. And, and as we do that, as we step through that crisis of belief and say, God, this is impossible. I don't see how it can happen, but I believe you and I trust you and I love you. And I'm going to take it anyway. That he begins to work and a miracle transpires. I believe throughout your life, Jesus is going to bring you face to face 
with one thing after another that seems impossible. And when you get there, you're going to reach a crisis of belief. Maybe some of you are there this morning. You've got to decide what you're going to do. Whatever that point may be for you, He commands you to act. And whenever we dare to take a step out in faith, whenever we dare to attempt the impossible that we believe He is leading us to do, Jesus moves in in fullness of power and a miracle is wrought. And if we have the eyes of faith to see it, we will give Him the glory and praise Him for it. Someone has written, got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things that seem impossible. He can do what no one else can do. Having faith to believe God for the impossible is a second step in experiencing His healing power. The third step starts out with desire. It continues with faith that results in growth. Verse 14. Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Sir, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may befall you. Here was a man who had not been able to walk for 38 years, and where's the first place that he goes after he's been miraculously healed by Jesus? Where? He goes to the temple. He goes to church to praise God. And then notice what Jesus says. He says, sin no more that nothing worse befall you. And and some people would read into this and say, well, is Jesus saying that his sin had caused his original illness? No. Jesus doesn't work like that. Instead, he's saying, I think now that you've been made physically whole, discipline sin out of your life so you can be made spiritually whole as well. And it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. Jesus saw the man in the temple. He told him who, was, who he was. The man goes and tells the Jews, there's the man who told me to carry my pallet. Not there's the man who healed me. But there's the man who told me to do work on the Sabbath. And I don't care what the law says. This man healed me of my infirmity for 38 years. So if he would told me to jump on one leg, I would have done it. Jesus told him to pick up his pallet and walk. And that's what he did. And I believe what Jesus is saying to him, what you've done today, do tomorrow and the next day. Discipline into your life a walk with the Lord that is necessary for your spiritual health. Life is not glamorous. The steps that lead to physical health are not all that exciting and dramatic. I've seen in the past two weeks about 20 people on TV who've lost 100 pounds. (laughs) And they're promoting that the first of the year. And you know what? Not one of them said it happened overnight. They didn't gain, well, let me just say, we don't gain weight overnight, and we're not going to lose it overnight. It takes time. And it's the same thing with your spiritual life. Physically, Most illnesses don't come like a bolt from the blue, but gradually, by not taking care of ourselves, by not eating right, by not exercising, 
our bodies wear down. The best assurance of physical health is a daily discipline of healthy living habits, eating the right foods, exercising, resting. And it's true spiritually. The best assurance of spiritual health is not to do something big for the Lord once a year, but the daily dedication of the discipline of prayer and Bible study and service and obedience to the cause of Christ. And it's not always exciting, but it is the day in and day out devotion and discipline of spending time with God that leads to spiritual health. And that's the greatest reward of all. When Jesus heals, it starts with desire. Do you want to be healed? The response is faith. Rise, take up your pallet, and walk. And it results in growth. Sin no more. It's a new year. You have as much of God as you want. If you're satisfied with Sunday morning only religion, that's all you'll have. But if you want more, God has a reservoir of blessing and power that He wants to pour out upon you and wash you white as snow. We have some choices to make. Let's make them wisely, shall we pray? Father, we are here in your house to worship you because we are empty and dead apart from you. But you come in and fill us up, cleanse out what is old, replace it with yourself and your spirit, and we are made as white as snow. I thank you that we have the opportunity to start anew any time, but especially here at the first of the year, it just seems appropriate to close an old chapter and open a new one and begin a fresh walk with you that includes forgiveness, repentance, rededication, and a desire more than anything else to have you fill our lives and walk more closely with you. Some folks here today watching by television may be sick physically and they need to know they're not forgotten and they cry out and they pray for healing and they don't know why it's not being administered to them. Father, we just affirm that you do what's right and what's best. And when you don't heal, you've got a greater purpose. Open our eyes to the times when you do miracles and help us give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to sing an invitational hymn this morning to give you the opportunity to respond. If God has spoken to you, professing your faith. You need to rededicate your life. You need to join this church. In the early service, Chris and Laura Burke joined our church upon transfer of letter and by statement, and Caitlin Salter 
came uh, for rededication and for baptism. The doors are open for fellowship. You notice the baptistry is full. We're going to baptize 10 this evening. I hope you'll come back and, and celebrate what God's doing in the lives of those individuals, but even more importantly, what God's doing in your life. And if what he's doing requires you to make a public decision, you make it now while we stand and sing 317, Only Trust Him.